0: As we were worshiping, singing about God's goodness, I hear him say, say to my people, for those who look for my goodness, I will appear. For those who are looking for my goodness, says the Lord, I will appear in my goodness. But know, says the Lord, that my goodness may manifest in my calling you up out of where you are in your place of comfort, in your place of repose, into my presence. Do not misunderstand the working of my spirit in your midst, says the Lord, for it is my goodness to draw you near to me. My desire in this hour is to pour my goodness in you and through you to a lost and dying world. So I would say to you, my people, look intently for my goodness. For I declare to you, if you look for my goodness, says the living God, truly I will be certain to make sure that you find it in this hour, says the Lord. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Turn me over to the book of Psalms we're going to look at Psalm 84, we're going to begin a series on grace today and we're going to go through the entire month talking about grace and we're we're going to start on a passage that is somewhat obscure to begin with um, but it emphasizes in summary what grace does for all of our lives Psalm 84 verses 10 through 12 the title of the message is grace court living. The psalmist says in verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord our God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Lord help us the writer of this psalm is one of the sons of Korah and the sons of Korah were descendants of the Levites who had responsibility for the house of God the sanctuary when it was a tent called the tabernacle they had responsibility to make sure that everything was folded back up if it were a curtain and the rods were put together and the rings were put together and all the articles of the sanctuary were carried properly and then setting everything back up when it was the temple. <clears throat> temple, they were responsible for keeping maintenance for the building itself and for the articles the sons of Korah had some experience in what it meant to be in the courts of their God this was a moment though where they could not and that we believe the occasion of this writing is when David is, is fleeing from Absalom uh, Absalom happens to be David's son, and because of David's horrific sin in committing adultery and murder, God is now judging his household in a merciful yet sure way. And Absalom, has, his son, has taken control of the throne and is now seeking his father's death. David has to run, as well as all the people who are loyal to David meaning the sons of Korah as well. Now, many of the psalms are written by David, probably about half. But the other ones are written by the sons of Korah, some of them by Haman, Jeduthun, and Asaph, three men that David had put in charge of worship in the house of God, some by Solomon and some by people we don't know. But we do know that the sons of Korah wrote this psalm on the occasion of the, them being displaced and no longer having the access they would normally have to God's house. You know the phrase that you don't know how good you got it till it's gone this is one of those now they may have known how good they had it but I don't know that you miss something until it's gone you don't appreciate it near as much as when you don't have it and the sons of Korah being absent from access having no way to get to the house of God he writes his psalm he starts off in verse 1 saying oh how blessed it is Lord To just dwell in your house. How lovely are the dwelling places of my God. Secondly. To really get a feel for the psalm, You also have to understand the context. Of the distinction between the presence of God. And his house. Now the presence of God was represented by. uh, an uh, An article in the temple called the Ark of the Covenant. Now for those of you who don't know what the Ark of the Covenant was. Reference Indiana Jones. I don't have any other way to help you if you don't read your Bible. It's not, it's also not Noah's Ark. This is a different thing. It's a box, roughly about two by two. And it's made of acacia wood, overlaid with gold on the inside, Ten Commandments. A jar of manna that sustained the children of Israel in the wilderness by God just raining it down every, every morning. And then Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod represented Aaron being the high priest when everybody else was vying for the position and thought that they were just as anointed as Aaron was. God proved that they weren't by having them all get dead sticks, sticks in which there was no life, placing them in his presence, marking them so that they would know which was whose. And in the morning, Aaron's dead stick had not only produced buds, leaves, blossoms, but full fruit in the morning in 12 hours. Representing the fact that God could do whatever he wanted with whatever he wanted. And he wasn't dependent upon life to produce life. That should encourage you that he could use you. You dead stick you. That was in there. And then it was overlaid with gold with two cherubim on top. Cherubim were a classification of angels. Pretty powerful in their orientation. This box represented his presence. The children of Israel would take it out to battle, believing that God was going to protect them and that he would fight for them. And indeed he did when they were with him. And there were merciful times when they weren't with him, when he would fight for them. But he's the only one that knows how to draw the line and say this far no more. There were times when they would go out and just look at the box as a kind of a, a rabbit's foot, a good luck charm. Not following him, not loving him. Kinda like what what you do every once in a while. When when you're in a a difficult situation, but you know you haven't been living right. Lord help. (laughs) You'll start going to church, start reading your Bible, start praying, won't you? Kind of hoping that your Bible, you rub it enough, a genie will pop out and give you what you need. God don't want to be treated like that. He's deserving of our obeisance which is our humility and our obedience which is our actions he's he's Lord God almighty and will not be reduced to a good luck charm they go out to fight the Philistines one day under the judgeship of Eli doesn't go well and the Philistines capture the ark bad day in Israel The Philistines take the ark, and God doesn't kill the Philistines because God loves the Philistines. He loves them. And so rather than being judgmental to them constantly, he's doing his best to try to show them that he's around and he's alive and he wants to help them. But they don't receive his goodness. And as a result of not receiving his goodness, the Philistines experience some difficulty, and they send God on away. They put this box, the ark of the covenant, on a cart. And they take two milk cows, cows that are nursing young, which would not leave their young. And supernaturally, these cow, these milk cows, leave the Philistines and and head directly to Israel. And as they enter the border, border of Israel, they go to a guy's house named Abinadab. And they drop off the ark there. And it stays there for 20 years. Minimum of 20 years. So now you've got the ark of God back in Israel. But it's not contiguous with the house. The house of God, the, the tabernacle, is now, you know, although it's moved quite a, quite a bit, it's gone from Shiloh to Gilgal to now Gibeon. The house of God is in Gibeon, another city. But the ark of God is in Kiriath Jerem, where Abinadab was. And there they stayed separate until the time of solomon though david did his best to try to bring some continuity david saw the, the ark of god at abinadab's house and he said that ought not be there that's for the people and he said let's bring that on into jerusalem david had just conquered jerusalem you enjoying this history lesson yeah. david had just conquered jerusalem he said i'm going to bring this into my capital city we're going to place it on mount zion and we're going to make this a place of worship it's going to be great so he tries to bring it in but he forgets how he's supposed to bring it in and he brings it in like the philistines brought it out well, and it didn't work out, so it was a bad day in church. Somebody died. <laughs> bad day in church. Real bad day in church. On the way in, somebody dies. They have to drop it off because David thinks God's mad at him, And they drop it off at this guy's name named Obed Edom, his house. And it stays there for about a period of three months where David sees Obed-Edom has been blessed during the entire time. So David realizes God ain't mad at us. Maybe we did something wrong. And so he goes back and researches. He says, oh, we're supposed to carry it on the shoulders of the priest, not on a milk cart. Got it. And so he brings it back into the city. When he brings the Ark of the Covenant back into the city, remember, the house, the tabernacle, the, the, the house of God is still in Gibeon. David doesn't bring the ark to Gibeon. He takes the ark and brings it to the city. So you have two different locations for the presence of God. Are you with me? This is important. Because this man here who's writing this psalm realizes that the presence of God is in Jerusalem, but the house is in Gibeon. And though he desires the presence of God, and though we all should every day of our lives... There ought not be a moment when we don't carry the presence of God with us. He ought to go with you to your workplace. He ought to go with you to your school. He ought to live in your house. The presence of God ought to be with you without cessation. No break. No break. But that's not all you need. Our Western Christianity makes us think it's just Jesus and me. No, it ain't. It's Jesus, you, and me. It's not just about your vertical relationship. It's about how you relate horizontally. Yes. Amen. Your vertical relationship is paramount, but you can't do the vertical thing right unless you got the horizontal thing right. right. John right. says it like this. If you say you love God but you don't like people, something wrong with you. That's a breath paraphrase. That's best breast paraphrase. You say you love God and you don't like people, something wrong with you. In fact, he, John goes so far to call you a liar. I didn't say it, get mad at John. (laughs) So here we have this writer talking about the courts of the Lord, not the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, oh, I really want to, I want to be in the courts of the Lord so good. I'd rather be there than a thousand days outside now when he says outside he's not talking about outside of the presence of the house the literal word there for outside is the same word that is used in the next phrase for threshold so what the psalmist is trying to do is to convey proximity he says it this way literal reading I'd rather be one day in God's courts than a thousand at the threshold and I'd rather be one day at the threshold rather than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And the juxtaposition there is that the tents of the wicked would give me the privilege of abundance, and I'd rather be in a little bit than have a whole lot out there and doing wrong. And so I've entitled these two points better to be inside than outside, and better to be on the outside than the wrong side. Well. This man, if we were to superimpose the Old Testament to the New, this man understood something about God's house, not just God's presence. Now, today we want them to be inseparable, and indeed they should be. Sometimes you can go in God's house and God ain't there. Sometimes, by the grace of God, never here, never, never Mm here. I always want to meet him when I come in his house. But some people don't want him there. And so they just continue on with church without him. I don't know how that happens I don't know but I do know this that in this time the presence of God was a Zion and the house of God was a Gibeon and this man realized I don't want them to be separate but I do not want to only have the presence of God with me I need God's people I need his house and in our American Christianity you do not live in solitary as a Christian you should not we we have this individualized version of Christianity, which sounds something like this: You talk to somebody about God and they say, "Yeah, I I I me and God, we got we got it going on. We are really." But you know that organized religion thing? I just don't. The church, a bunch of hypocrites. You know, I, I just I just want to worship God on my own. It's kind of like the guy, when I ask him about being right with, with, with God, and he's not, he says, well, you know, when I want to do it, I, I want to I do it all the way. I don't want a half-step, so I don't feel like I can make that decision right now. Now, somehow or another, he has rationalized that he's making a, a decision of integrity based on virtue. And, and, and I try to help him kindly by unraveling his stupid thinking. Said, now, now help me. You would, rather believe, you would rather intentionally do wrong and make God mad than to even take one step in the right direction and you think that's virtuous. Is that what you're telling me? Well, you, but that's what you, that's what, you would not even want to go this direction. You'd rather be completely wrong than just a little bit right and somehow you believe that that has integrity in it. You'd rather go ahead and just have your relationship with God and forget about the church because there are hypocrites on the inside. May I inform you? Hypocrisy is everywhere. You just got to choose which part you want to play in. Which group of people you want to identify with. Out there, let me tell you the version of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is just simply people not living what they believe. And is there anybody out there who does? I mean, really? Do they really live with integrity if they don't know God? When push comes to shove, aren't they going to shove you out? Are they really thinking about your best interest? Are they always going to sacrifice for your benefit? Out there without God, are those folk going to have any interest in your well-being above their own? That just doesn't happen. At least people on the inside of the church are trying. At least they're they're, they're in it. They're spending one hour a week, minimally, saying, Lord, help my brain. I'm not right. Help me to get right. I want to think better. I want to read your Bible. I want to understand. At least this version of humanity is trying. Would you rather stay out there or be in here? Now, I'm not talking about grace being the best example of what Christians ought to be. I'm just talking about the church overall. That yes, hypocrisy is every place, but you're going to have to deal with it every place. You might as well deal with it with people who are intentionally trying to get it out of their lives. Yeah. It's good. When you get to heaven, ask Noah a question. Ask him, Did he bring a shovel? Mm. Noah lived in a zoo. <laughs> he lived in a zoo. Truth, a zoo. Big zoo. You, you've been to the zoo, haven't you? Now, when, when, when you go see the ostriches, it's in the open air. Maybe the wind will shift and you'll get a whiff of something wish you, you didn't smell. But for the most part, you can breathe real nice. But go to the ape house. I hate the ape house. I'm glad God made those beautiful animals, but I do not like to smell them. And I try to get through there as quickly as possible. The ark was a big boat with a lot of animals. It was a zoo. And it had one window. One. At the very top, one window. One. Noah, did you bring a shovel? Did you bring a shovel? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is likened to a man who went out and found a treasure in the field. And when he found this treasure, it was so valuable that he went all the way back home, sold everything he had, and came and bought the field. Now Jesus was making a story. He made this story up to to try to tell something about the kingdom. Exemplify something. He could have said it like this. A man went out and found a treasure in the field, went out and sold everything he had, came back and bought the treasure. Nobody said he bought the field. There is a lot of value in the church. There's a treasure in here. It's in the lives of people. It's in the worship. It's in the preaching. It's in the relationships that you can develop treasure brings value to your life and you can bring value to somebody else's invaluable treasure to be plumbed to be dug to be enjoyed but you cannot get at it unless you buy the dirt so you're going to have to purchase all my insecurities my ego my selfishness you can't get around that you can't just take well I I want this part of bread but not the other You have to purchase all of me and deal with all of that. And the beauty of dealing with me is that when you deal with me, you have to deal with you. Because when I do things to hurt you, then you're going to have to figure out how to forgive me. And you don't want to do that. You want to run. But see, God wants you to identify with him just like he identified with you. He wants you to identify with him by understanding what it means to forgive somebody that you really are mad at. And don't like. And would not like to. Just like God did with you. Yeah. He was really mad at you. And really you gave him no reason to like you. But he reached out intentionally to forgive you. You get to identify with that. So I am your per- 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 perfection instrument. I'm the, I'm the one who gets to help you become what Jesus wants you to be. By my insecurities and all my flaws. <laughs> if, you want, if you want the kingdom. You have know, to buy the dirt. And just make sure that in every relationship you just bring a shovel. Because mm. somebody's gonna mess in it at some point. And you get the privilege of trying to figure out how in the world to clean stuff up and not throw out the baby with the bathwater, but keeping the value. Paul said it like this I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Ephesians 1.18, that you might understand the hope of his calling you, meaning that you know why in the world he put you on the planet, but he did not put that in a silo. He said, and that you might know what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. What that means is this, your eyes should be open to understanding what you're called to do, but that is not separate from what other people mean to you. So when you find out who those people are and the value they bring to your life you understand more about what your purpose is oh Lord I love your courts love them because every time I'm in your courts I see things differently when I'm in your courts I recognize people who are supposed to be valuable to me and I to them I hear things differently when I'm in your courts when I'm in my prayer closet I hear stuff but I don't hear it like when I'm in here I don't see it like when I'm in here Something about your courts ministers to me in ways that I cannot get any place else. I love your courts and I did not realize how wonderful it was until I couldn't get there. Value it now. Value it now. I don't know that the freedoms we possess in this country are ever going to be more. It seems to me that folks are trying to give us less. At some point, they're going to be coming after all the things that we hold dear. I promise you, our country is not becoming more godly by the day. We better take advantage of the freedoms we've got now because some folk are going to be suffering just like other Christians are around the world when folks figure out that this religion is offensive to their way of life. God help us. Just love the house. Love it. I'd rather be inside than at your threshold, and I'd rather be at the threshold than to dwell in the tents of wicked of the wicked. And then he talks about the benefits of proximity. He says, there's a, and remember, this is all connected now. The writer is not just putting thoughts out there that are disjointed. He says, when I come into the house, I recognize that you are a son and a shield to me. And what does the sun do except to illumine things and to make things warm that are cold? Anybody ever had some, some frigid times in your spiritual walk? Couldn't find the warmth of God? Anybody couldn't figure out which way to go, needed some path illumined, uh, illumined that you couldn't get to? It just was murky and, and it, it seemed dark. There's something about the house of God that helps me when I find myself just a little frigid in my relationship with God. Not that God is cold to me, but I I just, I'm tempted to say, where are you? How come you don't? I don't get this. I don't do that anymore. I get on the phone and I realize that God has given me supply in other areas. Now, there are some things that only God can do for me. Nobody else can. But I realize that there are some things that he shuts the spigot off on because he wants me to tie in with somebody else to find encouragement and revelation and insight through them so that our relationship will grow even in the midst of my weakness. I'll find strength in them. And so I give a call to all my peers. I'll give Russ Austin a call, pastor of of South Point Church in Jacksonville. I'll give Jim LaFoon a call, Peter's dad. I'll give Jim Critcher a call. I'll give Steve Merle a call. Hey, help me with this. What do you all think? Encourage me. God's speaking th- to you anything. And all of a sudden, illumination and encouragement and help will come to me that I did not get from Almighty God by myself because he wanted me to, 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 to now intentionally tie into others. I find in the body of Christ illumination. I also find protection these men help me oh God has protected me every day of my life I would not be here had he not done so there are things that he's protected me from that I can tell you about but most of the stuff I can't because I don't even know about it have no idea that a bus was supposed to hit me on September 12th in 1993 have no idea but it was supposed to you with me? the, 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 the diseases you did not get the accidents that did not happen The money that was not stolen. Are you with me? God has protected you like that. But as much as I enjoy his sovereign and independent protection, I realize there's some stuff I just cannot depend upon my relationship with God to secure me. I can't afford to fall. I fall all y'all are going to be mad at me you'll talk about me for days my reputation will be shot in this city my family will be a mess my kids will have to endure shame my wife will be out of her mind life will not be good for me nor will it be good for Grace Covenant Church that's what happens if, I, if you fall, yeah, your mama's mad <laughs> truth I blow it Tens of thousands of people are mad. I lose my job with the skins, as chaplain. I I can't be in the every nation world. There will be earthquakes, reverberations for a long time to come. I'm not that important, but I realize what happens when I fall. I can't afford to do it. So I can't just depend on on my perfect relationship with God, because I don't have one. He does with me, I don't with him. I don't hear him as I should, I don't see him as I should I don't walk as I should, sometimes I miss stuff so I've got peers, the people I just mentioned earlier I invite them to ask me questions about my life how you doing with your wife, what you thinking about are you giving, are you tithing how's your relationship with your kids, are you living with integrity and not once when they ask me these questions do I say, excuse me Do you know who you're talking to? I don't bristle. I say, thank you. Thank you. Now, it's possible for me to run through all those bridge outsides and still go off the cliff. But it's a whole lot harder. A whole lot harder. And so they help me stay right. They are a shield to me. When I come in the house, it's protection. And I'll close with this next point. I can't finish the entire sermon. Said the Lord gives grace and glory. And here I want to summarize everything the psalmist is trying to communicate, I believe. In the midst of lack and in the midst of a moment when everybody knows David should be judged harshly for what he did. God has given grace. He's given grace. It's hard to go through the consequences that David's going through right now. Deposed from the throne. Had one son die. Two sons die. A, a, a daughter who was raped. And Absalom was also going to die. It's bad. I mean, it's real bad. But the, but the writer of the Psalm says, I still am experiencing, and so is David, the grace. It could be worse it could be worse grace is the package that God gives that allows us to do everything we need to do and, and be everything we need to be it's his, his unmerited favor on our life Stuff we're receiving stuff we just don't deserve we, we don't deserve heaven we don't deserve the material possessions we, we have we don't deserve the friends we have we don't you need to get a spirit of entitlement out of you so you can be grateful every day. See, the psalmist, even though if I had to script my life, I would, I would have it be like this. I would like my life to go one day to another with more abundance. So I'd be abundantly supplied today and tomorrow more abundantly supplied than I was the day before and more abundantly supplied the day after that. That's the way I'd like my life to go. If I could script it, that'd be beautiful. But God doesn't follow my plan. And so I'm having to stretch my faith regularly to find the provision that he has for me. And it makes me grow. It makes me believe differently. And for that, I am grateful. But the psalmist is trying to amplify a point here. He says, without saying it, be grateful for the little. If I can't get as close as I'd like to be, I'll be satisfied with this. Better a day in your court than a thousand outside. But if I, if I can't get a day there, I'll take the outside as opposed to the wicked. I'll take that. I'll take that. Do you ever thank him for the little? Do you ever thank him for the little? Are you always trying to believe him for all the other stuff you don't have and thereby sometimes getting a little bit angry that you don't get it, that you forget about what he's done? He has been so good to you. And hear me, if he never does another thing, what he has done is enough. And if he had never done anything other than sending his son, it would be enough. We never need to accuse him about anything. Never ascribe wrongdoing to God. Never begin to cast aspersions on his character. Because he didn't show up when you thought he needed to. He gave his son for our benefit. That is enough. We aren't going to hell. Our sins have been atoned for. We have been redeemed. And called his sons. If he never had done anything other than that for me. that. Would be enough. Thank him for a little. If you can't get there. Thank him for where you are. Mm-hmm. Come on. At least you're not dwelling in the tents of the wicked. This is what grace looks like. It allows you the privilege of being places where you shouldn't. How? How? How did a little boy from Kansas wind up here and, and this is probably small for most people but to me I'm already doing more than I ever thought possible if I died today I thank God you squeezed as much juice out of this little black man as you possibly could <laughs> I gave my all. I ain't got nothing less to give that's cool I, I gave I, and you did more with me than I ever thought you could I'd die happy today knowing that I took my little one talent and at least doubled it. I'd die happy, die happy. But you only see me as the guy who's doubled it. You don't know me as the guy who had one, probably not deserving of receiving that. And God has done something with me that's just... I just look in the mirror and think, wow, dude, do you, do you know who you were? That's what I say to myself. And my sister who reminds me constantly, <laughs> Helps me understand how good God has been. (laughs) Family has that way of helping you like that. So does my brother. Grace allows you the privilege of experiencing what you never would have. Of having your eyes open to see the benefit that people are supposed to be to you. Of living a life beyond what you ever thought possible. And dreaming big and then seeing God do, do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask or think this is what grace allows he said God gives grace this is what he knew to be true as a result of being out in the wilderness with David now that even though they were going through difficulty they were experiencing the grace of God being saved from this plot and this plot and people who were conspiring against him and, pl- and literally plants in the middle of his ad- advisory team trying to figure out how in the world to get him He, he said, Lord you have graced my life you've graced the king's life and I thank you let's pray nobody like you, daddy, nobody blessing and power all of us so we can live well is there anybody this afternoon who is yet to give their heart to Christ I want to give you an opportunity to do so or maybe you've made a decision in the past Jesus but your life doesn't look anything like what a Christians ought to be if you fit in either of those categories raise your hand high I'd like to pray for you anybody at all bless you I see that hand once it's up you can put it down bless you you who raised your hand pray with me say Father in heaven forgive me I am sorry for the way I've lived I choose to turn away from everything I know to be said to follow you with all of my heart thank you for forgiving me thank you for loving me and thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life in Jesus name amen if you prayed that prayer we've got a new believers toolbox here for you in here there's a bible a bible study a pen and a pad please come down front after the service and pick one of these up and there will be a person down who can pray with you about your life issues Also, to explain something at the start of the service there, Chris Clark gave a prophetic word. A prophetic word is that which allows a person to hear from God and to speak on behalf of God to benefit people. Though he spoke in the first person, he obviously did not believe he was God. But he was speaking as if God were speaking to you. It was an encouragement. My hope is that your eyes will be open to see the goodness of God so that he can bring to you that which you perceive. Bless you. Have a great week.